and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Oh, stop it. Stop it. I would like to let you guys know in the spirit of honesty, I did everything I could to not do this today. <laughs> Let's just start there. I mean, I called everybody. Every friend I had, I'm like, you want to preach on Sunday? Um, but... But I'm really settled in my spirit about um, what I feel the Lord wants to talk to us about today. And I know that um, the way we end something is really important. Like there's been a whole lot deposited into us over these last three, two or three days. I don't even know how long it's been now. There's been a whole lot that has been spoken. But, but we need those words to land in a place where it can grow. It has to land in a fertile ground. So I want to say today at the end, I want, to, I want to start with where we're ending. I believe today the Lord is calling us as a corporate family to cry out. There's an outcry that I believe, he, I believe he's beckoning us to as a community for the region. The reason we talk so much about the region is because that's the way the Lord sees the church. But when the Lord looks down, he doesn't see churches, he sees a church. And so if we're going to receive the, the blessing and the outpouring that we've been asking for, it has to be church capital C. See, a by church is a lower C. There's an there's a, there's a uppercase church, which is the church. So when God looks down, he sees a church. It's not a by church. It's not overflow church. It is the church of Tampa Bay. And so the closer we get to the end times and Matthew 24 and all that we've been talking about, the more we must come together. The less we have to talk about the darkness and the more we need to talk about how can we be a light. Like, hey, like, let's not be surprised. I'm not surprised. Sometimes I'm, I'm surprised by people being surprised about things that are in the Bible actually happening. Have you watched the news? Have you heard this? Have you, yeah, yeah, but we didn't need the news. We don't need the Twitter update. We've read the Bible. We know that as the time draws nearer and closer, things are going to get darker. But it is a commissioning. It is a calling for us as his people to step in, to fully shine, to fully give themselves to push all their chips in and say, hey, we're, we're stepping out of the system. Come on, you know there's a system. And, and we've been doing this, man. I've, been, I've given my life to this since, oh, wait, this is what I've been doing. And the longer I do it, the more I want to kind of stand out. I don't, it's not about being seen. It's just I don't want to fall into normal. Not interested in normal. I kind of like it when people look at me. It's a little weird. It's a little extra. Because I'm not trying to fit in with everybody else. I want... I want my expression towards him to stir and provoke people. It's not about being seen. It's like, hey, if you're going to go there, I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to worship a little bit longer. You're uncomfortable. That's good. We're a little too comfortable sometimes. But he's raising up a remnant people. It's a people who are peculiar. That's what the Bible calls us. The Bible calls us a peculiar people, but there's a lot of sameness going on. There's a lot of like trying to conform. And maybe if we can reach them where they're at instead, instead of saying, let's call them up. Let's set a standard. Oh, you're not ready yet. <laughs> but there's a call for a people. The reason we wear Levite and stuff on the front of us is not because we like playing songs. It's not about harps. It's, it's a consecrated thing. It's like we've heard the call of the Lord. He's looking for a set apart people. A people who are like, hey, you can't buy me. You can't be bought. You can't entice me with things. The Lord is my portion. So it frees me because I'm not a slave to you. I'm free to love him the way he's called me to love him. And if you think it's weird, that's your problem. 
Because listen, when I, I'm an all-in guy. When I was in the world, I was a drug addict, I was all in. And so I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to give the Lord any less than I gave the world. If we're going to do it, we're going to go all the way. And I understand it draws a line. Because we live in a world where it's, we want to be in the middle. Don't make me choose a side. I want to be in the middle. I don't want to give my full opinion. I want to be in the middle because the middle is safe. But there's no more safe zone. Corey Russell came and he, he dropped Psalms 1 and 2. And Michael Dow spoke last night about fully giving our lives. That we would stop asking the Lord for an axe outpouring without living the life required in axe. And some of you just heard last night, oh, Michael's talking like, we, he's saying we should die for the gospel. Let's just try living for it. Let's just start there. If all you heard last night is, man, he's talking about martyrdom, you missed the moment. You missed the invitation that we would become, like Paul said, my life has been poured out as an offering unto the Lord. It's not on Sundays. I'm glad for the offering you pour out on a Sunday. I'm thankful for that. When we come into this room, it's beautiful. The Lord loves it. I felt it during worship when Marcus said, he loves. Even the weak ones. Even the, when you feel weak and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a lot to give. That little weak thing that you give, he loves it. He receives it. I, I actually believe this. I believe the weaker the, the weaker the offering, the more he loves it. There are moments in my life where I feel hyped up and I'm good, man. I'm jacked up on energy drink right now. Energy drink and Holy Spirit. <laughs> but there's something about moments of brokenness when I, nothing's gone the way I thought it was going to go. And it's like, where is God? But yet I still come. I'm like, it doesn't make sense, but I'm still going to come. Because where else are we going to go? It's like, where else are we going to go? But if we, if we continue to live life in the middle, the Lord's not going to have it. They're like, why? Because he's a, he is a jealous lover. It's who he is. It's who he is. He is a jealous lover. And he's not jealous for your ministry activity. He's not jealous for your anointing. He's not jealous for what you do. He's jealous for you. It brings everything to even because it means in seasons when I'm bringing a lot and I feel full and I'm, there's a lot of activity and when seasons when I have nothing to give, he loves me the same. His love for me is not based on my performance, on what I bring or how broken I feel. It's just pure, unadulterated love. So it makes it easy to come into a room and just wait and say, thank you, it's an honor. It makes it easy. And sometimes in these moments, being in the church world, we feel uncomfortable and we want to bypass the moment. It's like, well, man, people just aren't responding. And the issue is we've, we've grown weary and waiting on God. Do a study over the next week on how many promises are attached to those who wait upon the Lord. Do it. Just Google it. Those who wait upon the Lord and read the scriptures of all of the fruit and benefits of what happens to a people who learn to just wait. We live in a world where the advertisement, the appeal for churches will get you in and out in an hour. That's where we're at. 
We don't want to be an inconvenience to you with the Lord. So 50 minutes will get you in and out. I told our worship team, if, you don't, if we don't worship 50 minutes, I'm just not preaching. We're just not ready yet. Because last time I went to AMC, they didn't go, hey, I'm sorry for the two-hour movie you're about to go into. I watched Spider-Man. Nobody said, I'm sorry. You're going to be here for two and a half hours. I apologize about that. I hope you have a good time. It didn't happen. So what I'm saying is we've got to realign ourselves around what are we really doing? We're not going to sing songs about you are our one thing but have many things. We're going to center ourselves and we're going to align our words and our lives and they're going to be in alignment towards the person of Jesus. Not a church. I'm not calling you into a church. This isn't about abide. This is about how are you doing in proximity to him? How are you stewarding that relationship? So a lot of you have been with us some, some, a short amount of time, some a long amount of time, and we've been talking about this Levitical thing, and some like, what's the Levite thing about? I don't play an instrument. I can't sing a song. I get it. Last time I sang into a microphone, Covington came up to me and says, don't ever do that again. <laughs> he isolated my voice, played it, and said, stop it. <laughs> so I get it. But what I want you to understand today is the call to be a part of a community that is consecrated and set apart is more than about a song. I want to walk us through some stuff today, and I want to start in Exodus 32. And I want you to see this separation. Exodus 32, there's a separation. And I want you to understand that what God is looking for is a kingdom family. Say kingdom family. Let's try it again. Kingdom family. A few weeks ago, we talked about this. The church is not a business. It's a family. It's not a restaurant. It's a house. And God began this whole thing with family. And he was fighting for family. When we were birthed as a community, it was through Abraham. And it was family. And God was fighting for family. But in the midst of all of that, they got caught into the swirl. And they ended up in a place where there was levels. And there was a separation. Exodus 19, you would see where God was calling them up a mountain, a community up a mountain who had been enslaved and had been under oppression. And he goes, hey, come up the mountain. But they say, no, you go. And this is the continual tension where God's like, come up here, come up now. And in our environment, you're like, no, 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 we pay pastors to do that. And then he tells us what God is saying. And I, and I want to say to you, man, what's going to happen? No, I'm not going to say that. But, <laughs> but there's an invitation for us. Mike Dow, Mike Dow just gave it to y'all last night, huh? He smiled. I can't smile like he did when he says it. There's an invitation for us as a people to come up. And so I want you to see what happens from the onset when we, when we fall into the system where we send one man up and we don't all choose to ascend. We're not talking about a literal mountain. We're talking about living in proximity to the presence, having relationship, a dynamic relationship where I know him, he knows me. It's not just me knowing him. How many of you know God knows you? But you need to understand that God knows you, that you are known by him, and he chooses you. So in Exodus 32, Moses was up on the mountain, and the people start talking. And in verse 1, it says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. So once again, they found themselves another man of God. And he said, come, make us gods who will go before us. 
As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I want you to see that there were a people that did not know how to respond to God except through a man. When Moses was gone, they were in disarray. It's like, we don't know what to do. Mike talked about this last night when 2020 happened and we couldn't gather in churches. There was a great exposure. We were exposed. It was like, we don't know how to do this whole loving Jesus thing because we can't get into a building on Sundays. And maybe that's not your narrative, but I want to say overall, it was the narrative. It was like the wheat and the tear. They grew together for a season, but there was a great separation. And you really got to see people who spent years singing, I am no longer a slave to fear. Great exposure. And so here are these people, and they're saying, we don't know where Moses is. We don't know what's happened to him. And then Aaron responds, take off the golden earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters. Let's take what we have, and let's make an idol out of it, and let's worship that. <laughs> like, let's take our material possessions, the things that we have, and let's form something, and let's, let's make that the main thing. This doesn't happen in America. We're separated from this, right? And all of a sudden, man, a people who God had delivered, it said all the people, verse 3, all the people took the gold rings, and then Aaron took the gold, he melted it down, he molded it into the shape of a calf. And it doesn't matter that if it was a calf or a 401k or a sporting event or what it was. The issue was they had made something and worshipped it that was other than God. It's the fundamental issue. Listen, have your 401k, have all those things. Be blessed and prosper. We believe in that. I don't think there's anything wrong with prosperity. The problem with prosperity becomes when prosperity has you. It's a subtle thing. You just don't begin to realize when it begins to creep in and all of a sudden you're making decisions based off of not the word of the Lord, but how do I protect And we, not may, we may not be standing in front of that thing and worshiping it, but I want to say, if anything is deterring you from following the voice of the Lord, I would question. So Moses is up on the mountain, and they're doing their thing downstairs, man. They're just, they're just getting it on. They got their idols going. They're all worshiping. They're, they've performed sacrifices, and they built up an altar in front of it. And there's all this activity, and then God's like, yo, you need to go down the mountain. Because the people, the people have lost themselves. Like the, the Bible describes them. Oh, I got to find it in verse 32. It says, the Lord said, I have seen the stubborn and rebellious. No. Oh, what is the word? Go down the mountain. Your people whom you have corrupted themselves. How quickly they had turned away the way I commanded them to live. So Moses goes down the mountain. And here's what I love. Moses comes down the mountain and he confronts the people. You see how you don't get a whole lot of amens when you preach like this? Because it confronts. It confronts. You're like, I don't want to hear that, bro. That's not what I want to hear. But Moses comes down the mountain, and this is important for us as a people because it gives us context into the Levitical people, a separated, set-apart people. Moses stands, and he reasons with God, and God's like, I will kill them. And he's like, no, don't do that whole thing, you know, and he... And then all of a sudden, you see Moses at the base of the mountain, and there's a proclamation. He says this, let all who are for the Lord come. 
It's a nation of people, over a million people. He stands at the base and he says, let all who are for the Lord come. And you see, it says all the Levites rallied to him. Millions of people, but when Moses gave the call, hey, separate yourselves, there was something on the inside of them that said yes. And there was a calling forward of people that were birthed into, hey, you will no longer have land and inheritances. Your ministry will now be to me, and you will stand between God and the people, and you will mediate. And you will stand in the gap. That's what we've been talking about, this ministry of intercession. About standing in the gap and refusing to give yourself to the mixture. Refusing to compromise and say, no, 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 I've been bought. And I'm set apart. And the world needs to know, hey, I know, I know this. The way I live my life is foolishness to the world. But we've got to start asking the question. If I'm truly following Jesus, then why is nobody offended by the way I live? Jesus lived three and a half years, right, of, of ministry. And he ministered, and there was thousands. And the fruit of three and a half years and thousands of people saying, yay, Jesus, was 120 people in an upper room. That was the fruit of his ministry. Because when there's miracles, signs, and wonders, and there's activity, the masses come. But when Jesus says, I want you to sit in a room, and I want you to wait. I want you to just wait. You don't know what you're waiting for, but just wait. We don't want to wait. That's not productive. There's work to be done. Jesus gave, they could have said, Jesus, you gave us a mandate. Go make disciples. What does sitting in an upper room have anything to do with go making disciples? And what I want you to see is, as, as these people were set apart, God entrusted them with the temple, the tabernacle. They were the ones that were in the closest proximity to God. And it just, it just baffles me sometimes, man. I, I, I refuse to live my life in such a way where I'm asking God to give me something like the book of Acts without choosing to live that. That's why the word Michael gave last night marked me. I just sense the Lord saying, stop asking me for Acts 2 if you're not going to live that way. It's not about martyrdom. It's about priorities. It's about structuring your life. And I know we live in a world now where it's like, we don't want to hear about the Old Testament. It's the most demonic thing ever. Just read the Gospels and get through the New Testament, man. You'll, it's demonic. The Old Testament is family history. It's our heritage. It's what you see God jealously pursuing a people. And you won't understand the first four books of the Gospels if you don't understand his burning desire for a people. Don't fall into that deception. Get caught up in the narrative that from Genesis to Revelation, there is a storyline and it's God saying, I must have them. I must have them. And this is why we're here. The calling that God gave us, a regional calling, is not about building churches or 501c3s or programs or ministries. 
It's like we're building houses with people who are willing to take the time to wait upon the Lord, be endued with power, and go. Wait on the Lord, be endued with power, and go. That they're carrying oil when they walk into Walmart, when they work their jobs, when they're walking into family, they don't have to be worried about what they're going to say because they believe that as they go, the Holy Spirit promised, I will speak through you. I don't have to go four years to Southeastern, bless God. I did four years at Lee and paid way too much. But what I'm saying is it doesn't take all that to trust Holy Spirit to lead you in, but you've got to be set apart. Got to be set apart. So the question always becomes, man, okay, I hear you, Gio. I hear the call to be a Levite, but what does this practically look like? Like, how do I, how do, I do this? I just you sell my clothes, wear a robe, move out to an isolated place, get a tent, you know. But, but I believe Jesus really gave language to us on what it looks like to live a consecrated. And so you see in the upper room discourse, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, man. And chapters 13, 14, and 15, 16, 17 of John will change your life. He begins to speak. Let's go there really quickly. I want you to go to, you can turn to John 15, and we're going to walk through this. But you see in John 13, Jesus begins to speak. He washes their feet, and he begins this dynamic conversation with them. And it, they call it the upper room discourse. He washes their feet. This is what they were talking about during conference. If you don't let me wash your feet, you cannot be mine. And then he enters into, hey, Jesus, I, he is the way to the Father. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he promises them the Holy Spirit. And then in John 15, he begins this conversation with the disciples, which I believe is the heart. It's why we're called abide. It's not because it's trendy. It's like, oh, that's a cool name, Abide. It's because we believe this is, this is essential for us in learning what it looks like to live as priests unto the Lord. Like he gives us real language in real time. And so Jesus begins to speak to his disciples, but it's still, I need you to see this, it's still unto building a kingdom family. It's all one narrative. In order for you to step into this, you need to understand that he's calling us into the abiding life. Say abiding life. This isn't just for the church of abide. This is, this is for the region, for us. This is why prayer rooms are popping up. It's not because I'm meeting with people. You should do a prayer room. It's like God is meeting with people in places and he's saying, will you build me a house that waits? Will you just give me four hours on a Tuesday and let me do work? And it's offensive. It's foolishness. Why would you do that? You could be discipling them. Put them through a course. <laughs> Give them a book, man. You guys can talk about the book because we've lost all trust in Holy Spirit. We have gotten to the point where we think we're better than Holy Spirit at our jobs. We're better disciplers. Let's just create a class and let's get good teachers. We believe in the fivefold, all of it. But I'm saying there's something about sitting you in a room for two hours with no direction that exposes you. <laughs> That's why some of you don't come. <laughs> I'm just, I'm there. I'm like, I come into the room and I'm like, Jesus, I'm just so exposed right now. Jesus is like, go repent to your wife. I'm like, oh, goodness. Go tell that person. This is just what he does. Clean hands and pure hearts. It doesn't happen through a sermon. 
It can't be imparted to you. It's just about sitting and looking at the Lord and receiving from him and saying, you're enough. Oh, you're enough. You're enough. If I never preach a sermon again, you're enough. If I never pray and see a person healed again, you're enough. It's all going to happen, but we've got to start with that. You're enough. You're worthy of my time. So Jesus, he starts in, in John 15. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. Meaning, hey, listen, no matter where you're at, you're about to be pruned. How's that? There's a pruning that's happening in the body of Christ. I remember having our lawn guy at our old campus. He, he sent me a picture one time, and it was of the hedges. And he sent me a picture, and there was two lines. He said, hey, man, I can cut it to A, and it will look nice. He's like, but in order to truly have the growth, and in order to truly have it look how it's supposed to look, you need to cut it to B. I said, bro, I'm, I'm going to pay you extra. You just gave me a sermon illustration. I said, you can cut it to C, bro. Because I'm not worried about the immediate gratification of a thing. We're looking for long-term fruit, a production. I'm living today for 2027. I'm storing in the ground, and I know that one day I will reap. I don't do it for the harvest, but it's just the nature of a God who is a giver. So he's like, I'm going to prune, and I'm going to cut off. And it's going to be aggressive, it's going, to, it's going to feel ugly, and it's going to be painful sometimes. But the byproduct of, this, of that is fruit. Meaning this, there are places in Geo's life that at one point created fruit. And it would be easy for me to lean on that thing, but God's like, no, I'm about to do a new thing. So many sermons about new things. We're doing new, God's doing a new thing, but I'm going to do the same old thing and expect the new thing to come. Pruning. Pruning. It's a pressing. It's a shaking. And he's doing it. It's, it's mercy. Because we sit in these rooms and say, God, more. God, you can trust us. God, give us more. Give us a region. Build your church. He's like, this is what it's going to take. I know you used to talk that way, but I know you used to watch that, but I know you used to be friends with that person, but you're like, that's religion. No. <laughs> it's love. There are certain things in my life that I don't do, not because I signed a marriage contract, because I love my wife. It's love. Love compels. So he's talking and he starts, this is the beginning of the sermon. He says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given to you. Because how many of you know in that three and a half years, there was a lot of purification that happened on the inside of them. There was a pruning, a pressing, a shaking. But then he says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So here's the first invitation. Listen, if you're going to live the abiding life, you're going to have to make a choice. It's a choice. And it moves from, it, 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 there's a transition. It starts with you coming to him, but there are levels to this. You ever heard? There's levels to this. It starts with you coming, 
but at a certain point, it becomes about you not departing. It's the greater ministry. We start with coming, come, come, come. But then the great tension for us as a people is learning how to refuse to depart. I'm just not going to partake in that anymore. Because there are certain ways and places and systems and ideologies where I can't go and the Lord go there with me. (laughs) The amens are waning. Remain in me and I will remain in you is a very intentional thing. It's me setting my life up in such a way where I host him everywhere I go. I don't host him on Sundays when Covington is leading worship or even in prayer rooms. I've established my life in such a way where anytime he looks at me, my life is saying, come Lord Jesus, come. It's the cry of the church in the last days. It's not wait because I got more work to do. It's not wait because I got some dreams. How crazy is that? That we've got, I've had conversations. I just hope the Lord waits a little bit longer. I got some things in my heart. It's the Lord. It's Jesus. No more pain, no more. What could you possibly have here that could, it pales in comparison to being in glory with him. We've got to be delivered. It's a deliverance. He said every branch is connected to the Father. It's the only way that branch produces fruit. Now we are called to produce fruit. It's like like this branch, I walked outside and I grabbed it. (laughs) Obviously not from inside. (laughs) That would have been amazing if it would have just appeared though. There's nothing that I could possibly do in my human power to make this branch have life again. I need you to really, man, if you're a part of Abide, I want you to hear this. In my life, there's nothing Geo can do to make this branch have life again. Why? Because it has been severed from its life source. Now, I want you to understand the correlation in proximity to ministry. If we can just get them to church and get them connected to the pastor. If we can just get them to the right man, if we can, if there's a right speaker, there was conference this weekend, come. But, but I need you to understand all of that's beautiful, but it's unto this. How can we get you connected to the life source? I can pray and fast for three weeks and shock Baba at this branch. There's nothing that's going to happen because the only way this thing can receive life is by being connected to the life source. Why do we sit in prayer rooms and create environments for you to just sit? We're hoping that something would ignite in your heart that would say, I must be connected to the life source. I must go back to the first and the main thing and and separate myself and stop trying to be connected. It's the, hey, where's Moses narrative? Do you see it? So he says, remain in me. And I will produce, and he says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. Oh, this is so good. For apart from me, you can do? I looked it up in the Greek, it's no thing. It's like, it means what it means. Apart from God, all of your workings and all of the things that you think matter, nothing. <laughs> Nobody wants to lock eyes with me. <laughs> nothing. 
nothing. I want you to, like, like let that settle. It's vain. It's nothing. It has to be submitted to him. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown like a useless branch and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and be, to be burned. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you. I want you to see this. So the first command is, hey, remain in me. Make room for me in your heart. Reprioritize your life in such a way where I can abide in you and you and me. But the next progression, the next level would be that you would make room in your heart for my words to dwell there. It's being possessed. It's like when you receive the word of the Lord, you're making room in your life for that word. Some of us like, bro, I'm going to conference. I want another word. I would ask you, what did you do with the word from last conference? God is a good steward. And it's not just financial. He's looking for people to entrust with his words. But once he gives it, he's watching. It's like, oh man, I want to see what he does with that word. And I know I've been there, man. Some of us got words about stadiums and ministries and all of these things. But God will speak. And it's like, well, I don't, you know, I can't do that. I'm waiting on the stadium. Man, I'm called to the mission field. You're like, yo, you got a passport? No. Good luck getting there. What am I saying? As God speaks to you, there's action required. It's letting the words of him remain in us. David said this, your words I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. As he received the word of the Lord, he hid them on the inside. It was written on his heart in such a way that it directed the narrative of his life. This is what we're looking for. This is what marks a remnant people. It's not just receiving the word, it's being possessed by it. It's the word of the Lord setting the course correction for our lives. I don't care what the world looks like. I don't care. I remember when we first went to Africa, everybody thought we were crazy. You're going to take your one-year-old to Africa? You can't give him malaria medicine. doesn't matter. It's what the Lord said. It's what the Lord said. We need some more people like that. Stop trying to reason with people. It's nonsense. What about this? Did you think about that? I know what the Lord said. Let it be the standard and let them see God carry you through. Stop making excuses. This is what God said and this is where we're going. If you don't want to go there, that's fine. I'm going there anyways. His words have to remain in us. We've got to be desperate for his words. It's the Hannah thing. God found a woman in Hannah who was laboring, travailing to such a way that the priest said, why are you drunk? I don't even know that kind of prayer. I ain't never been in such prayer. Somebody says, yo, he's drunk. But he found her laboring. And she was desperate for a child. And the word of the Lord came to her. It will be. It will come to pass. And she carried the word. You've got to see it. It started with a posture of desperation. I got a word from God that I will have a child. And that desperation gave birth to a Samuel. And what the word says about Samuel was Samuel was a prophet that the word did not let. The Lord did not let one word come out of his mouth hit the ground. It started with the stewardship of a woman who was laboring in travail. She refused to give up on the God dream. Yeah. I know in the natural I've been barren, but I believe that God wants to burst something through me. Where's that conviction? Man, I'm beckoning you to this. Let's set the standard. This is what God said. I'm going to align myself with his word. And the only three people go with me, and my team knows. 
Once God has said something to me, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's what he said. This is the way we're going. I don't care what things look like. I don't care what things sound like. I don't care if there's the finances to do it or not. It's what he said. It's what he said. So his words remain in you, but watch this. When the word of the Lord remains in you, I want you to see what's attached to that. When, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything. Oh, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you will produce, when you produce much fruit, you are my true what? What? True disciples is not measured by how many people you've healed or how many sermons you've preached. How many times you've held a mic? How many prophetic words you've given? How much Bible you know? How long you've been serving the Lord? Oh, no, no. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Let me, let me, let me shoot like an arrow at you. That looks like being loving, having self-control, being gentle. Being long-suffering. <laughs> I bet you we could all quote the gifts of the Spirit. When you begin to produce fruit, he says, you are my true disciples, but this is the greater blessing. This brings glory to who? Oh, the American church hates us because we love glory. Give me glory. Look at me go. But when we lay our lives down, when we make our lives about him, and we let his words abide in us, we, we, the byproduct is we produce fruit, and it brings glory to the Father. We're like, oh, why aren't people coming to church, man? They're just not attracted. It's just not, what can we do to attract them? It's because the world is tired of you getting glory. We've built systems, and, and we've built ministries that are based around a person, and we're just tired of it. We'd just rather go watch a Marvel movie. They're just better at it. The entertainment is just better when Marvel does it. But when we center around the person of Jesus and real life change and transformation happens, people come. I'll stop. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. I want you, I want you to hear this. Jesus saying this not just to his disciples but to you. This is the Bible, right? I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So what does he say? Remain in my love. Command number three. Remain in me. Let my words remain in you and remain in my love. It's a hard word for the most offendable generation to ever live. I don't like that. Doesn't feel good. I'm just trying to do me. You know, you only live one time. Don't let anybody tell you. Nobody can judge me. But in order to remain in love means I have to let go of offense. Oh, let me stop. <laughs> Making sure it's in the Bible. When you obey my, yeah. Remain in my love. Meaning, how many of you know, like, when you leave a place, the last thing you say is the most important. When my son gets out of school for the car, I'm like, hey, hey, don't punch anyone. It's very important. It's like the most important thing. It's the last thing you say. You say lots of things, but that last thing is what you want to stick. Hey, remain in me. Let your words, but hey, remain in love. Remain in love. 
In order to remain in love means there must be an intimacy. Without intimacy, there can be no love. There must be a drawing from one to another. It's love. Love is not a choice. Like, I, 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 I started with choosing my wife, but love, in, in the context of intimacy, it just grows. I don't have to wake up every morning and say, God, help me, love. I choose to love my wife today. See how dumb that is? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I do. I'm like, I'm sorry. We'll pray. We'll pray. Do special altar call. Lord, help me love him. <laughs> remain in my love. But then he tells us how to remain in love. This is where we stop. The, the question becomes, how do we remain in love? How do we stay in this dynamic, intimate relationship? When you obey my commandments, uh-oh. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. But then watch this, because this is, when we hear that, it becomes a yoke. Here we go, trying to tell me what to do. They're trying to control me. Oh, now I got to obey commands. Now I got to do things. Now it's requiring. The purpose of the requirement is this. When you obey his commands and you remain in love, I have told you these things so that. Meaning the fruit of obeying the commandment is this. You will be filled with my joy. You will be filled with it. What if the reason you're miserable is not because life has just happened? What if it's just because you're choosing to do life your way instead of coming into the leadership of the Lord? Ah, very few claps because you don't like it. I don't want to be told what to do. I'm a powerful person. I'm anointed. You feel the tension in the room? But in order for us to live in proximity and in true intimacy, it's an obedience thing. Oh, it's a cuss word. You feel it, it's chills to obey. What do you mean? I listen to my podcast. I listen to Upper Room on the way to work. I stop watching things with sex. I'm doing great. But there's another level of being a disciple. You see this in the Gospels. When the crowd started getting really big, Jesus would just say things like, hey, sell everything and come follow me. It's like, oh, no. But to love is to obey. And Jesus was setting the standard. Oh, you really want to love me and follow me? This is what it's going to look like. Everybody's like, Jesus, we're going to follow you to the ends of the earth. All right, drink my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, oh, it got cult-like. <laughs> to remain in love the parameters, what safeguards us. When we go bowling, when, because I love my son, I put the bumpers on so he has a good time. <laughs> my son's competitive. He'll just quit. He's like, this sucks. I'm not good at this. <laughs> what do I do? I don't just say, well, just do it and figure it out. You put bumpers on. Right. Like, because I love him, I want him to have a good time. You've got to change your perspective on this. So you see, obeying the commands of the Lord as a yoke, like, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, it's like, I can't do that. It's just, they're bumpers that keep you in love. They keep you, they, they like, they protect you. It's what helps you get that strike. You know, you've been living life, hitting one pin for 30 years. You're like, I just don't get it. 
Obedience. Are the, it's the safeguard. It's like, I love, Lord, I love your law. I love your commandments. I'm going to give myself in such a way, and if it cuts me, then something's wrong with me. It's not a Bible problem. We're like, well, you don't understand the culture we live in. Who gives a crap? We let the Bible set the standard. And as things grow darker, we continue to give ourselves to the glorious light. That's fine. I only need a couple of people to get it. This is my command. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends. Oh, that's it. Look, there's another one. It says if. Not, not may, if maybe. It's if. You are my friend if you do what I command. But then, like, I want you to hear the invitation that Jesus is giving us this morning. I need to, we're about to get there. But the invitation where he's moving us out of this slave mentality, this orphan spirit slave mentality where I got to do for God. He's saying, listen, I know for a long time, man, you've seen yourself as a slave. Like you've got to do a whole lot for God and, and it requires a lot and there's a lot of sacrifice. I no longer call you slaves because a master is not confined in his slaves, but now you are my what? I want you to say it. What are you? You're a friend. You're a friend. How many of you understand and know there's a different dynamics between a slave and a friend? There's a different level of opening up. I mean, let's just not, maybe not slave and friend. What about acquaintance and friend? There's a different level of intimacy where you open up your heart because that person is a what? They are a friend. And the Lord is looking for a people to share his heart with. Not mechanical robots that just do because they're obligated because they don't want to go to hell. Let's graduate from that. The motivation is not, oh, I'm not, I don't want to go to hell. The motivation is there is a jealous God that loves me. And I will forsake all to have all of him. Because he calls me friend. Oh, you are a friend. The Lord does not tolerate you. You are a friend. It's the fellowship of the burning heart. You are his friend. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but he delights in you. You are his friend. If you don't understand that, you will not come into prayer rooms. You will not give yourself to the abiding life because nobody wants to come someone where they believe they are being tolerated. We're like, man, man, maybe God accepts me. You can't come to God like that. That's why he says, I want you to boldly come into my throne room of grace. Why is it a throne room of grace? Because there's a, there's a chasm that has to be done, and it can only be done by him. His grace extends to me in the throne room, but it's so that I can come in. It's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's an invitation to divine fellowship. Some of y'all are, like, falling asleep. This is what's happening in the church. It's asleep. It's asleep. It's a slumber. 
Because when we talk about intimacy, we talk about family. We live in the most dysfunctional family dynamic ever. We live in a culture like, well, I show up. I pay the bills. Be happy. What are you complaining about? But in the context of kingdom family, everyone is all in. I have told you everything the Father has told me. Verse 16, you did not choose me, I chose you. Read it again. You did not choose the Lord, the Lord chose you. You did not choose the Lord, the Lord chose you. Which means this didn't originate with you. You didn't originate. One of the most powerful concepts on the earth is the, is, is the concept of adoption. Because it wasn't just something that happened. It was an intentional choice. That did not come from me, but I choose it. I make a decision. I'm going to love. I'm going to choose that. And it frees you. It frees you understanding. You didn't just come to God hoping, maybe he'll choose me back. Maybe he'll receive me. Maybe if, I, maybe if I pray like Marcus and I start rocking and I do this thing he does during worship, maybe. Maybe he'll receive me. No, it, it delivers you because you realize, oh, I started with him. Oh, man, when I was 18 years old, the Lord was pursuing me as a drug addict. You fast forward six or seven years when I was angry and all the stuff inside and raging, you could look back at the narrative and you see all the way through the Lord was pursuing me. It was this ongoing pursuit. I will have him. I will have her. I will have him. I will have her. I will have him. I will have her. And it's not just so that you can come on Sundays and go, oh, man. They've been going for 45 minutes. I get it. Holy, holy, oh. I just wish she would stop. It's not for that. It's not for that. I'm sorry if that offends you. But we, we have created the, the church in such a way that many Christians are going to be offended when they get to heaven. Because in heaven, there's going to be no one to heal. There's going to be nobody needing a prophetic word from you. There's no microphone. It's not like we're not doing stadiums anymore. So if all of your affirmation is found, you understand what I'm saying? If it's not about Jesus, it's going to be very disappointing for you up there. Like, well, what are we doing? I thought this was all unto. And this is the deliverance. This is why Jesus in this hour is making it all about all eyes on him. Because this is heaven's nature. Teach us to pray. He said, how do we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You think heaven's preparing you for stadiums? What are you going to do when there's no sick person to lay hands on? How will you know that you're loved? <laughs> oh, Jesus, help us. You didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to go. Say, go. go. The, at, again, at the very end, you see that all of this is unto go. 
I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love. Love. I just don't understand my calling. Love. I just don't know why I've been put on the earth. Don't ask God to give you a ministry if you can't love. He's not going to send you. Why would he send you? You don't know how to love. Nobody cares about how much Bible you know if you don't know how to love. Like, well, man, I've led 50 people to the Lord. What did you lead them to if you don't know how to love? That's why there's so many miserable people in the church because we've led them unto a, a prayer, not unto a person. It's the most terrible bait and switch ever. Don't bring them here. It'd be miserable. We're singing for an hour, and they're like, what is this about? Why does he sweat so much? Why is he jumping around? <laughs> We've got to start with love. So I felt like today, hey, Ben, you can come up. I wanted to end today with, with an outcry. Now, an, an outcry is, it's like an aggressive proclamation. It's not like, it's like when you watch a football game, there's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's like we're gripped by this thing. There's two football games to get today, and they're going to probably be great. There's going to be thousands upon thousands of people that are gripped with an outcry for a team. They're going to throw a piece of leather, and if they get it on the other side of the white line, it's going to be like, ah. Oh. And here we are on a Sunday morning beckoning you to do the same for Jesus. Beckoning you to do it for the King of Glory. For a region. So, so that God can make in us a people who produce lasting fruit. So that when Psalms 2 comes... And the raging of the nations and all the things we've been talking about, we will be stabilized as a people. So that when one day we can't gather like this, which it will happen, mark my words, I don't care how old you are, it will happen. You know how to still walk out your faith. Most churches won't tell you that because like, well, they're not going to like that. They're just, it's going to happen. We've lived in, in enough nations to know there's going to come a day where we can't do this. It's not prophesying doom and gloom. It's just happening all over the world. And if the only time you feel stirred by the Holy Spirit is when Geo holds the mic or the Levites release, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And I'm telling you this because I love you. Because I remember when, when COVID first happened, I remember laying in bed with my wife and wondering, was that the last message I was ever going to get to preach to them? I remember thinking like, like this burden of like, God, if that was, like, are they ready? I don't mean it. Like, it's not an indictment on you. This is just as a shepherd, like, God, did we do a good enough job preparing them for what's coming? Did we teach them to hold on? and not be so worried and not compromise and bend and yield and be true. Did we teach them to walk the narrow road? The Bible is clear. There's a path that seems right to man. Oh, you got to hear this. 
everything is going to tell you this is the right way. The news, the bank accounts, all of it, all of the natural things will say, this is the way to go. And the Bible says that path, it leads to destruction. <gasps> so we've got to have a people who are gripped and they're sitting in rooms in the mornings and at night saying, God, we've got to have your voice. We've got to hear you. If we can't gather in churches, we'll do it in homes, but it will be unto hosting you. It will be unto you coming, and the church will not be worried about what if, I'm afraid, but it will be, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. It's the harmony of the end times. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. It's not wait, I'm afraid, preserve us. It's come, Lord Jesus, come. It's what will separate a remnant people. It's this desire, come Lord Jesus, come. And I feel like I just wanted to come this morning to just sound the alarm. nothing cute about what happens in this next 30 45 minutes it's not sexy it doesn't cause church growth but it's real because it's a people that have come to the end of themselves and they're like God we've tasted and we've seen of the world but we want you Oh, we've tried all of the things, but they don't satisfy. So we're just here saying, come, Lord, use us. says this, Joel 2.15 says, blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem, announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting, gather the people, the elders, the children, call the bridegroom from his quarters. It says, let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep before the entry room and the temple and the altar. Let them pray, spare your people, Lord. Spare your people, Lord. Let your special possession become an object of mockery. But come, Lord 
Lord Jesus, come. That's what we're here for this morning. I just want to invite you to just cry out with us this morning. Oh, Lord, we desire you. No hype, just let it come. Let it